You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. So what's on your bucket list? You know, what do you want to do before you kick the bucket, as they say? (laughs) Before you die? I I was kind of curious, so I did a Google search this last week on common items for a bucket list. There's a lot of long lists. (laughs) It's hard to know which ones to pick. But let me mention some that are more common. Run a marathon. Write your personal life story. Learn to play a musical instrument. Go snorkeling. Learn a foreign language. Go skydiving. I'd recommend you put that last on your bucket list so you have opportunity to do the others. (laughs) We're all going to die, friends. That's not just a possibility, a potentiality. It's reality. Unless the Lord comes first, you and I are all, each of us, going to die. Your death, my death, your death is an appointment you will keep regardless. You will not miss that appointment. So in light of that sobering reality, the sobering reality that you and I have a limited time here, what are we going to do with the rest of our lives? How are we going to prepare for the day of our death? Here's an interesting question. What if God wrote your bucket list? What what if God told you what you should be doing before the day you die? Hmm. Here's an interesting one from the Word of God. Psalm 71, verse 18. Psalm 71, verse 18. Those of us that are older maybe should memorize this. So even... To old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to those to come. This past Tuesday, we had a memorial service in this room for our friend Ed Tooney. He died so unexpectedly. When we pulled into the parking lot this morning, the first thing my wife said is, Ed's truck isn't here. And as we were in that memorial service for Ed this past Tuesday, I I found myself sad. He was a friend, a friend of 30 years. I'm going to miss him. But I was also challenged. We heard story after story this past week of how Ed Tooney, in his quiet, serving way, impacted the coming generations. Ed impacted my kids. A generation later, Ed has been impacting my grandkids. And as I was among you in that memorial service, I began to think, is my life leaving a lasting legacy that would reflect Christ and honor him. Am I being faithful to pass the baton to the next generation? 
So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all who will come. I want that on my bucket list. Join me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. 2 Timothy, the last letter we have from the pen of the Apostle Paul. When we read the biblical letter of 2 Timothy, it almost feels to me as if the Holy Spirit is inviting us to descend those stone steps down into the cold and damp prison cells of the Mamertine prison in Rome. And in the dim light of an oil lamp, we see a gray head bent over a table. He's writing something. He's running out of time, and he knows it. The footsteps of the executioner might be heard coming down those steps to his dungeon at any time. He wanted to finish this letter. One last word of instruction to his son in the faith. This man had faithfully mentored Timothy for the last 20 years. And now, probably in his mid-30s by now, Timothy was pastoring the church in Ephesus. And as we watch this old man, the Apostle Paul, writing in the dim light of that cell, it seems that there's an urgency to the movement of his pen as it moves across the parchment with deliberate and staccato strokes. What is this old man writing? What is he writing to his spiritual son, his son in the faith? What would you write? If you knew, if you knew this is the last communication you have with your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter, what would you write? This letter of 2 Timothy is warm. Oh, but it's far from soft. It's loving. But he doesn't avoid some hard truths about what the younger generation, Timothy, is about to face in the years ahead. Kids, it is so good to have you in the worship service. I look forward to the coming weeks, having you here more regularly. For those of us that are older in the congregation, Look at the kids around you. Look at the teens around you. For some, they're family members, your children, a grandchild. For some, it's the children or grandchildren of friends of yours. But as you look at the children, the teens around you, I'd encourage you to ask this sobering question. What kind of world is the next generation facing? What kind of world are they facing? Are you in 2 Timothy 3? Let's read the first nine verses. But understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, 
unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, <coughs> always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was that of those two men. The term last days in 2 Timothy 3 does not refer to some brief period yet ahead of us. The term last days is a biblical term you can find in the Old Testament and in the New that refers to a much broader period of time. In the Bible, when you see the phrase last days, look at the context. And it almost surely refers to the entire time between the comings of Christ. His first coming when he was born in Bethlehem until that day in the future that he comes back. That this whole era between the two comings of Christ is referred to repeatedly in the Bible as the last days. Timothy was living in the last days. And so are we. And so are our children and our grandchildren after us. Some of those dangers, those difficulties are in the culture around us. And I think we see that especially in the first five verses, that the culture around us is marked by godlessness, opposition to godliness, hostility. It's proud, arrogant, loving self, loving money, and on and on we go. But we within the church are not immune to those difficulties. That the Apostle Paul alludes to the fact, even in Timothy's day, that there would be people creeping into the church who were false teachers. People who are not teaching the ways of Christ. They're not teaching the gospel. They're not living the gospel. And they can actually persuade people within the church to depart from the biblical truth of Jesus Christ and begin to believe falsehoods, begin to leave, live in ways that do not honor Christ. Preying on weak people, people burdened down by their sin, living with guilt, vulnerable people. But interestingly, if you read carefully those verses, you'll notice that the last days are not necessarily uniform. So the last days are difficult. The last days, this whole, we call it sometimes here at CCC, at least a portion of that, as the era between the gardens. Here, the era between the comings of Christ. As we live in these last days, it's always difficult. The world is not friendly to Jesus Christ. The world is not friendly to his gospel. The world is not friendly to believers. But Paul implies to Timothy here that the days are not necessarily uniform. In other words, they are not equally difficult. That there are seasons of difficulty within the last days. That there are certain periods within the last days that are more difficult than other days within that period of time. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. 
And even if you drop a little bit further down in this passage, in verse 13, it says, while evil people, imposters, will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. In other words, within this whole era of hostility toward Christ and his gospel, there are periods of time within that context that, can I say it, are even harder than others, that are even more difficult than in other times. And so we ask the question, bringing it to our day, what kind of world, what kind of culture are our children and grandchildren facing in the years to come? Those descriptors I read of the last days in 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 4 sound very familiar to us, don't they? Would you say that we live in a culture where many people are lovers of self? Lovers of money? Proud? Abusive? Disobedient to parents? Ungrateful? Heartless? Without self-control? They say it's hard to read the news online, or even look around us from the highest levels to the neighborhood. Of arrogance, love of money, abusiveness to others, it seems like it's permeating our culture. Those of you that have known me over the years know that I've been teased of being the perennial optimist. I was actually given a plaque one time with rose-colored glasses glued onto it. I, I am a perennial optimist, and yet I acknowledge before you today publicly that I join many who say I think it's getting harder to be a Christian in our culture. I think it's getting harder, not easier. Oh, God could send revival at any time, and he has in the past. He could send revival. But if it doesn't come soon, I think the years ahead are going to be more difficult, not less. You can look at the trajectory. You look at what's been happening for the last couple of generations, and it seems to me that the hostility toward Christ and his church, Christ and his gospel, is ramping up, not down. And as much as I love my kids and my grandkids, I think I would be naive to paint some rosy picture, some rose-colored picture, that everything's going to be great, everything's going to be fine. In the last days, there will be seasons, there will be times of difficulty. So here's a question. What did Paul want Timothy to do with that information? He said, did you catch the beginning of that chapter? He said, but understand this. Know this, Timothy. Here's a spiritual father speaking to a spiritual son, and he's not wanting to keep him in la-la land. He's not wanting to keep him in some naive realm of everything's nice, everything's great, your life's going to be great. He says, son, by the way, Paul's on death row. He knows he's about to be executed for his faith, for preaching the gospel. He says, toward the end of this letter, he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. That was the last act of sacrifice. He says, I'm at the end. I'm at the end of my life. I'm at the end of my ministry. And I'm writing to you, son, one last letter. And I want you to know this, son. I want you, I want to be honest with you. I want you to know what you're facing in these last days. There will be seasons, there will be periods of difficulty where bad people are going to get worse. 
if that's true in our era as well, then how are we preparing our children and grandchildren? Look, look at verse 12. We haven't read that verse yet. We won't in a little while, but let me drop there for a moment. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Is that, is that what we're teaching our kids and grandkids? How do we prepare the next generation to live for Christ in a hostile world? How do we... How do we Disciple, how do we train the coming generations to stay true to Christ no matter what? Or maybe to make it more personal. What's your part? What's your part in that? What's my part? Let's not read this in some detached way, but let's personalize this. What's my part in preparing my kids, my grandkids, to follow Jesus Christ? as they face a culture that is increasingly hostile. I believe as we read the letter of 2 Timothy, we can easily pick out three tools the Spirit has put into our hands as the older generation, three tools that he wants us to use in preparing the coming generations to live for Christ in a hostile world. The first one is our teaching. Our teaching that we are to teach the Word of God to our children and our grandchildren. Those of you that aren't parents yet, you have children in your life, maybe nieces and nephews, maybe you help with the children's program, maybe people in your life group have kids. Everybody's involved in impacting the coming generation, everybody. Some of us just have more responsibilities than others, but we all have a role in impacting the coming generations for Christ. So what about your teaching? Parents, grandparents, what are your habits of intentionally teaching your children, your grandchildren, the ways of Christ from the Bible? We want to take advantage of all the church has to offer us. I I am so excited that next Sunday, the children's Sunday school classes are being relaunched. And with such Christ-centered, biblical-saturated Content. I am so excited about that. As an older pastor, I want to appeal to those of you raising your kids, take advantage of resources like this where you can have your children in classes like that. Our youth group, the Wednesday evening kids program that will soon be getting again, lost and found. Having your kids here in the worship service and then interacting with them afterwards, maybe at Sunday lunch. Take advantage of everything the church has to offer to help you and discipling your kids. But parents, parents, you are the primary disciplers of your kids. I'm not saying you're the only discipler of your kids, but you are the primary discipler of your kids. What are you teaching them on a regular basis? I'm not trying to guilt you, but I am trying to help you. (laughs) When our kids are growing up, we call it a family devotions. You can call it whatever you want. But the point is, are you having planned regular times where you are training your kids in the ways of Christ from his word? Do you have a plan? Our resource room has some helps. I'll talk about those in a little while. But we're here to help you do that. That you would understand some foundational way of how to pour the word of God, how to pour the gospel into your kids. 
But not only that, but how do you pour the Word of God into your kids or your grandkids informally? What do you talk about when you're with your kids? What do you talk about when you're around your grandkids? Well, maybe I should ask them. What does your dad and mom like to talk about? What does your grandpa like to talk about? What's your grandma like to talk about? You know, would our, the coming generation say, well, well for, for dad, he loves talking about sports. He loves talking about his job. Loves talking about his hobby. Mom loves talking about her Facebook friends. I mean, what do we talk about? Or, or would just informally, the kids, the grandkids say, my mom and dad, my, my grandpa, grandma, they, they love to talk about Jesus. <laughs> they just love to talk about Jesus. When I'm around them, it's like I can smell Jesus on them, you know. <laughs> they just love to talk about God and his word that just kind of emanates from your life as you go through a daily life. I mean, this is not a new concept, is it? I mean, this goes back to the days of Moses. What's Deuteronomy chapter 6 say? Clear back in the days of Moses. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, as you go through a normal day, you go through a normal day with your kids, your grandkids, you're talking to them about the Lord. And friends, let me just say this. Don't give the kids mere moralisms. I've been so guilty of this at times. I think back to when our kids were little. How many times did I say something like, well, well just be nice. You, you should be a good boy. Stop lying. Tell the truth. I mean, are those all true? Yeah, but where's Christ in all that? Where's Christ in all that? Where's the gospel in all that? It's not there. It's just mere moralisms. Be a good person. There's no power in that. There's no power in telling the children, be good. We want to point them to the Word of God, and in the Word of God, point them to Christ. We want them to see Christ. Right here in 2 Timothy 3, the most famous verses in this chapter, when you heard I was going to preach on 2 Timothy 3, I wonder how many of you thought, oh, I know, he's going to preach on verses 16 and 17. I'm just going to mention these. Well, let's do read them. Paul says to his son in the faith, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It's useful, productive, fruitful, whatever word you want to say there. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. For training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you want your kids, do you want your grandkids to be equipped, prepared to live for Christ in a hostile world? Then use the word of God. It's so useful, it's so fruitful, profitable. It teaches them positive truth of Jesus Christ. It corrects them when they're wrong. It brings them back to the path once they're off. And then encourages them to go on the way. John Piper said one time, teach the truth in such a way that young people will come to love it and put their hope in God. (laughs) Yes. That reminds me of Psalm 78. Join me in Psalm 78 for a minute. I think we might have this on a slide too. In Psalm 78, the psalmist is encouraging the older generations to impact the coming generations. And having talked about God and his revelation of himself and his grace, He says in verse 4 of Psalm 78, We will not hide them, the truths of God, from their children, our children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might 
and the wonders he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children, so that they should put their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, so that they would put their hope in God. Let me just pause and ask a very, very important question. Parent, grandparent, what is your ultimate hope for your children? What is your ultimate hope for your grandchildren? More than anything else, more than anything else, monetary success, athletic success, comfortable life, happy family, more than anything else, what is your ultimate hope for your kids, your grandkids? That they would put their hope in God. Psalm 78, 7. Mark that verse. That they might put their hope in God. You want that, don't you, Christian? You want your children, you want your grandchildren more than anything else, more than everything else, to put their hope in God. I want my children, I want my grandchildren to see the worthiness of trusting God, the worthiness of his son, Jesus Christ, that they would put their hope in him. How's that going to happen? You and I can't make that happen. The power of dispensing grace is not in our control. That's in the control of a sovereign God. But you know what? He uses people so many times, most of the time. He uses people taking his word and communicating it to those who need it, including our kids and our grandkids. And so are we living, are we living as the older generations in such a way that the younger generations are saying, my mom and dad, my grandpa, my grandma, tell me God's word. They teach me God's word. And in doing so, they point me to Christ. His worthiness. And in God's amazing sovereign grace one day, our children, our grandchildren, will say, I, I want to put my hope, I want to put my faith in him. He is worthy. I heard it from my dad. I heard it from my mom. I heard it from my grandpa, my grandma. They told me about the worthiness of God. And I want to join them as those who put their hope in him. Isn't that your desire, my friend? When we talk about teaching the younger generations the word of God, we're not merely wanting to say increase the kids' Bible knowledge. There's nothing harmful with knowing a lot about the Bible. But that's not the end. That's a means to the end. The Bible's about Christ from beginning to end. Give them Christ. Give your kids. Give your grandkids Christ. From his word. That's the first tool. The first tool is our teaching that we teach the coming generation both formally and structured plan times and informally as we go through the day. We teach the coming generations about the Lord from his word. A second tool the Lord has put into our hands to impact the coming generation. The power of our example. The legacy of our lives. Did you notice in chapter 3 how often Paul points to the legacy of his life on his son in the faith, Timothy. Let's go ahead and read verses 10 through 15. He's just described the difficulties in this hostile world, including or even emphasizing these false teachers. 
And now he's going to draw a sharp contrast. He says in verse 10, you, however, he's going to say, Timothy, you're paying attention here. This is the way the world is. This is how ungodly people are in the church. But you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. Isn't that an interesting phrase, my aim in life? My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Here it is again. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Let me say that one again. Knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's emphasizing the teaching. That's like number one. Teach your kids, teach your grandkids the gospel of Jesus Christ from the word of God. Secondly, show them what difference that makes, has made in your life. And here's this father in the faith talking to a son in the faith, and he says, you watched me, Timothy. You followed me. You studied me as your mentor for the last 20 years. Timothy, you saw my life. You saw my conduct, the way I live. You knew my motivation for life. You knew my way of life. You knew what I lived for. Timothy, you saw it in me. And he's emphasizing Timothy's commitment to live perseveringly, committedly for Jesus Christ in a hostile era. And one of the tools he uses to challenge Timothy, to encourage Timothy in that vein, is remember from whom you learned the truth, Timothy. You watched me, Timothy. You, you watched me suffer for the cause of the gospel. By the way, an interesting piece from this verse that he mentions Lystra. He mentions several places where he's persecuted. He mentions Lystra. You can read about that in the book of Acts. In, in Lystra, Paul, the, some of the citizens of Lystra stoned Paul to the point that they thought he was dead. They, they had thrown rocks at him to the point that they were sure he was dead and they walked away. And God raised him up from that. He wasn't dead. Do any of you recall what Timothy's hometown was? Acts 16.1. It was Lystra. That was, that was Timothy's hometown. You know, we don't know this for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if a, maybe a teenage Timothy, maybe the age of some of you high schoolers or, or young college students, that, that Timothy at that era in his life, that very malleable, very impressionable era in his life, saw his father in the faith stoned to the point of death. And rather than Paul saying, oh, Timothy, just forget about that. He says, Timothy, you, you saw that, Timothy. You, you followed my way of life. You, you saw me, Timothy. You saw me being persecuted. You were there witnessing my suffering for the cause of the gospel. And he, he uses that. He uses that as a tool to teach Timothy something. Jesus is worth it. 
He doesn't say, oh, I regret that, Timothy. Avoid that, Timothy. Timothy, don't do anything that would cause people to do that to you, Timothy. In fact, flip back to chapter 1. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. This, this verse always makes a hair stand up on my neck. Where Paul says, Timothy, he says, do not be ashamed. Do not be overcome by shame. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Listen to this. This is a father writing to his son. He says, but share, share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Here's a father talking to a son, a spiritual father talking to a spiritual son. And he says, son, come, come suffer with me. Son, come suffer with me for the cause of Christ. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. You saw all that, Timothy. Join me. Join me in following Christ. Come what may. Do you see that? Do you hear that? Do you feel that? That here's the Father saying, Jesus is more important than Anything else than everything else, Timothy. Timothy, you've seen that in my life for years. For years, Timothy, you've seen it in my life. Timothy, don't be ashamed of Christ. Stick with Christ. During these difficult days that are coming, Timothy, stick, stick with Christ. He's worth it. What a legacy. What a legacy of life. But you know, it wasn't just Paul, was it? We read verse 15 a few minutes ago, didn't we? He says, from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. From childhood. From childhood? <laughs> Who did he hear that from? Look, look at chapter 1 for a minute, verse 5. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I'm sure it dwells in you as well. It seems pretty apparent from what we read in the book of Acts, as well as Paul's letters to Timothy, that Timothy did not have a Christian dad. He says his dad was a Greek. But we know that Timothy had a Christian mom and a Christian grandmother. And that these ladies taught their son, their grandson, Timothy, the word of God. When I think about that, some of we have single parents in our church. Some of you have been single parents. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy to maybe be a Christian mom, a Christian dad, and your spouse isn't supporting your spiritual commitments and discipling your kids in the ways of Christ. Some of you have kids that are not following the Lord. They're not teaching your grandkids the way of Christ. And it's sometimes tempting in those difficult situations to just shrug our shoulders and say, what am I supposed to do? My husband isn't supporting me in this. My wife isn't supporting me in this. The parents of my grandkids aren't supporting me in this. There's nothing I can do. Here are two godly ladies who poured into Timothy as a boy. And everything I read there makes me think it was not just their words, it was their lives. Paul said, Timothy... Remember what you learned and remember from whom you learned it. Recall their life, Timothy. Remember, remember how your mother lived? Remember how your grandma lived? Remember how dedicated they were to Christ and showing you Christ, Timothy? Remember those years I poured into you, Timothy? Don't forget that. 
Don't forget the legacy of the life. Let's bring it up to us. What kind of life legacy are we leaving for our kids and our grandkids? I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to play Holy Spirit, but I would challenge you with a question. What if at lunchtime today, if you're with your kids or grandkids, what if at lunchtime today, TV off, cell phones put away, you humbly ask your kids or your grandkids, by watching how I live, not just listening to me, by watching how I live, what would you say is the most important thing in my life? By watching how I live, daily life, what would you say is the most important thing in my life? Funeral, a couple years ago, and one of her granddaughters at the funeral said, you know, Grandma sure loved us, our grandkids, but you know what? She loved Jesus even more. I thought, yes, yes. For a granddaughter to say, Grandma loved Jesus even more than she loved us. Oh, no, that's a legacy. Friends, can we leave a legacy like that? By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. Friends, I know none of us is flawless. Oh, how thankful we are for Christ. That when we fail, he doesn't. And yet for us to lean on his grace, to lean on his spirit, and to say, oh, Holy Spirit, empower me to live in a way that I make Christ attractive to my kids and my grandkids. That my kids and my grandkids see Christ in me. Our first tool was teaching the word of God. Our second tool was the power of our lives, the power of our examples. There is a third one, which we'll talk about briefly, and that's prayer. Did you notice how Paul began his letter to Timothy? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'll just read the first few sentences. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And then the next phrase says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you. And you know, Paul couldn't always be with his son in the faith. Right now he's in prison in Rome. His son, adult son, middle-aged son, by now 30, mid-30s, he's pastoring over there in Ephesus. That doesn't mean he couldn't have a role to play. And grandparents, some of us are long distance from some of our grandkids, you're not helpless. These days, we can stay in contact with our grandkids in many means. But no matter where you are, no matter what your physical condition, pray. The Apostle Paul prayed for his son passionately, didn't he? Did you see that? He talks about tears. He prayed passionately. He prayed persistently. Day and night, I pray for you. I wonder what he prayed. I wonder what he prayed. You ever wonder that? Paul says he prayed for his son. What did he pray? You know, I'm, I know I'm meddling this morning, but I'm meddling as a fellow parent and grandparent, okay? So I'm with you on this. I need God's grace as much or more than you. What do we tend to pray? Let me address my peers, those of us that are older, the grandparents. What, what do we tend to pray for our grandkids? And maybe parents can relate to this too. When you pray for your grandkids, what do you tend to pray about? 
I'm going to pick two words that I think summarize many grandparents' prayers. Safety and success. Please keep my grandkids safe as they go to school today. Please keep my grandkids safe as they play. Keep, keep, please keep my grandkids safe from evil people in this world. And Lord, give them success. Let them do well at school. Let them do well when they get a career. Let them, and we pray for safety and success. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking God to protect our kids from evil. He taught us to pray that way. But is that the sum total of our prayers for our grandkids? I mean, I'm reading between the lines here. I'm kind of reading backwards. But if Paul told Timothy, join me in suffering for Christ, do you think he then prayed for Timothy's safety? Just keep him safe, Lord. Don't let anything bad happen to him. I have a hard time picturing Paul praying that for his son. But how about if he prayed something like this? Oh, Lord, make yourself so valuable, so attractive in my son's heart and in his passions that he's willing to live for you, come what may. Would you do that in his heart, Lord? Would, would you give my son a passion for you that he stays faithful to you no matter how hard life gets? Would you do that, Lord? Work in my son's life. Give him a passion for Jesus Christ. Keep him faithful. No matter how hard it gets, Lord, keep him faithful. Keep him on the heels of Jesus as he goes through this hostile world. I can picture Paul praying something like that. Can you? How do we pray for our kids and our grandkids? Are we praying, Lord, show them Christ? Show them the value of your son, the preciousness, his beauty. Shine the light of regeneration into their darkened hearts. Give them a love for your son. Give them a love for his people, the church. Give them a love for your word. Friends, our grandkids, we not only should be praying for our kids and grandkids that way, they should hear us pray that way. <coughs> so, friends, what has God put on your bucket list? Lord, don't let me die until I've told the next generation about you. I wouldn't be surprised if some of us here in this room, no matter if you're parents, grandparents, non-parents who have influence on kids, if some of us are living with certain regrets right now. I was talking to a fellow grandparent recently, and we were talking about this issue, actually, and he made a comment that sounded kind of sad to me. He implied it's too late. He said, that train's already left the station. Kind of like, can't go back, I blew it. Friends, in God's kindness, in God's grace, as long as you have life and breath, you have life to live. Don't waste the rest of it. If you have regrets for your past, don't let that keep you from living the future in a way that would honor Christ and benefit your children and grandchildren. If you're saying, I've wasted time, I've neglected relationships I ought not to have neglected. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you of that, why don't you confess that? Why don't you confess that to the Lord and say, Lord, I see now that you wanted me to invest in the coming generations. And I've neglected that. I've, I've lived my older years as if they were for me. And, and by the way, older friends, fellow peers... This is a trend that I think we need to resist. There's a trend in our culture that says the golden years are to be lived for us. 
I've paid my dues, I've done my time, and now my golden years are for me. Where in the world did that come from? Now, let me say that with a little different emphasis. Where in the world did that come from? Life's about you. Has it ever been about you? Has it ever been about me? It's always been about Christ. It always has been. Let's not waste the rest of our lives. Let's pour into the coming generation the worthiness of Jesus Christ. Let's pass the baton of faith to the coming generation. If you're living with regrets today, don't just sit there paralyzed by that. Confess that to the Lord. He is faithful and just and will forgive your sins because of Christ. You need to repent. In other words, you need to change. Parents, have you been neglecting pouring the gospel, the word of God, into your kids? If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you to empower you to change. Grandparents, if you've been living for yourself and not pouring into your grandkids and the Holy Spirit's convicting of you that, convicting you of that, don't dare use the excuse you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You're not a dog. You're an image bearer. And if you're a Christian, you're a saved image bearer and the Holy Spirit changes Christian image bearers. So why not use the rest of the years, however many have left, to repent? Say, Lord, I want to go a different direction. I want to go in this direction of pouring into my kids and grandkids the gospel of Jesus Christ. He'll help you. What changes is the Spirit calling you to? What commitments? Friends, the church of Jesus Christ is there as a tool as well to help us in our Christian journey. We have one another. And I think even here at CCC, <clears throat> got here a little early this morning. It wasn't hard when we had to get here at 10.15. But I just walked through the resource room and I started grabbing some things that are in there. Did you, have you been in there lately? There are some great resources for parents, grandparents, children's workers. Here's one, Don Whitney, Family Worship. By the way, if you come to the Gospel, Fam Gospel Shape Family Conference, this will be a gift. It's about how to have family worship, how to have family devotion. If you're saying, I don't know how to do that, pick up Don's book. It's only $8, but if you come to the conference, we'll get one for free. <laughs> Read Parents, classic book. Been around now for, this is the second generation, Shep Shepherding a Child's Heart, Ted Tripp. Excellent book. There are other good books, too. Ted just stood the test of time. And then his brother, Paul Tripp, wrote a book for those of you parenting teenagers who are about to embark on those troubled waters. <laughs> Only Paul calls it age of opportunity. Rather than dreading the teen years, say, whoa, those are years of opportunity. Good book. And then there's a new book that's been out recently called Grandparenting with Grace. <laughs> I highly recommend it. It's helped Gladine and me. <laughs> you know, there's resources in the resource room. When you walk in, look a little bit to your right, straight ahead there, and you will see a wonderful shelf or two of resources for family. Starting in December, we're going to, I appreciate so much Pastor Mark's leadership, his direction for us as a church, calling us to disciple, to reach with the gospel of the coming generations. Thank you, Pastor Mark. But starting in December, we are strategically going to have classes at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, equipping parents and grandparents in their significant ministry of discipling the coming generation. It's very intentional. We're going to have classes to train you, equip you in your ministry of being the primary disciplers or the secondary disciplers of your kids or grandkids. 
Take advantage of those. And then less than three weeks away, September 20th, Gospel Shaped Family Conference. Friends, you've heard me talk about this already. You've heard Pastor Mark talk about it. It is a privilege to have the Gospel Shaped Family Conference in Winona Lake, Indiana. There are speakers coming from across the United States, Colorado, Minnesota, New Hampshire, um, men that have written and spoken on these issues, showing how the gospel comes and shapes life's key relationships. They're going to be here, less than three weeks away. And you, did you hear how much it costs you to come to that? Fifteen bucks. And that gets you lunch and a book. <laughs> so at the Resource Center this morning, why don't you sign up for that? And then just to say on behalf of my fellow pastors and I, we're here to equip you for the saint, for your ministry. We're here to equip the saints for their ministry, and that includes parenting, grandparenting. Feel free to ask us if you could use some help. We're glad to help you in any way we can. Let me pray for us, and we'll let you get going here.